Hi, uh, welcome to the Recommendation Game, a film of the week podcast where we take turns to pick a movie the other person hasn't seen and we watch it separately and meet to discuss it. You're listening to Dublin Digital Radio. My name is Ricardo Deacon and I'm joined by... Orla McNeus. This week's film was chosen by Donegal Orla. Mm-hmm. It is The Vast of Night. WOTW Radio in Cayuga, New Mexico, and this is the news for the hour. Now, what would you like to tell us about yourself? I don't know. Cool. Aren't you like some big science girl? Tell me about science. Edward, it's Faye. I'm a sound came through the board and interrupted your radio show. What a sound. In the 1950s, two children search for the source of a mysterious frequency that has descended on their town. So, Orla, why did you pick The Vast of Night? Because I love debut movies, uh, <laughs> particularly from uh, kind of madmen um, who <laughs> go and work on a film for years and do everything themselves, a la, uh, what do you call them? Um, Shane Caruth? Yeah, I was going to say Caruso? I was like, no, <laughs> yeah, very Shane Caruth. <laughs> I wish David Caruso from Miami, <laughs> if I can see a sign Miami, had directed a movie. He's, this is not quite as cerebral as something Shane Caruth has directed, but uh, I think as interesting in a lot of ways. Um, the guy actually wrote it. He wrote it under um, uh, Montague is his, um, uh, what do you call it, his, his pen name? Um, his pseudonym? It's, yeah, it's pseudonym. What's it called whenever you're a scriptwriter, though? Is there, is there a separate word for that? Nom de plume. Nom de plume. Um, so he actually wrote it himself. Um, and then I think the, the other credit on it, I think, um, the second screenwriter, I'm not sure. But um, Was he, like, doing the one of the, like, a fucking Steven Sodenberg? The, he just, like, could, credits uh... different names just so <laughs> it doesn't feel like he did everything? <laughs> funny you should say that because uh this is another slam dance alum after the dirties we know how much you like that um and Soderbergh saw this at slam dance and uh, absolutely loved it um but it, it was a bit of a weird one because it didn't really do very well in festivals and then it kind of slowly started to gain traction and eventually ends up getting picked up by amazon and then released on amazon um but the guy made it um He's like 38 or something, and he'd been working in commercials as a director in Oakland. Uh, no, Oklahoma, sorry, um, which has no real see, <laughs> no real movie-making scene, let's say. Um, so he, he made it for... Um, I saw at different places that it was either $700,000 or a million dollars, maybe a million dollars, including the marketing budget or whatever. But uh, it was all his own money. So he didn't get any funding for it, um, which probably explains why there's so few producers um, linked to it, considering that this is a first-time um, feature. But um, yeah, I would advise you to look him up on IMDb, because this is his sole credit. And uh, he's a very interesting-looking man. He's got a very impressive uh, mane of hair and beard, let's say. Um, he seems like a bit of a character. <laughs> but there's a really great interview with him at IndieWire, um, where he talks about all the different films that he took inspiration from and it's quite eclectic and i find it quite interesting so not just like 50 sci-fi and encounters of the you know like different some films that we've actually done um but he also name drops uh all the president's men as an influence for uh, a film that manages to build up so much tension through phone calls and like people being on the phone and using like recorded voices to create tension and stuff. And I was like, okay. He also mentioned Zodiac. <laughs> and <laughs> because of that, the big, uh, the big dramatic sequence in the middle of that film with Brian Cox and the phone into the show. Who am I speaking with? This is the Zodiac speaking. Is there something I can call you that's a little less ominous? Sam. Sam. The guy also mentioned Linklater as a massive influence for like characters walking around with these like massive amounts of dialogue, etc. Um, yeah, I find this one really interesting. It's like considering it's like such a genre piece, and you know, it's it's not just like the influence of the like like 
you know 50 sci-fi movies and the twilight zone and everything but also like the decades and decades and decades of all the films and tv shows that have like used those as an influence and also kind of ripped them off and especially in a world where stranger things exists um <laughs> it's interesting how fresh i find this film um i like i really wasn't expecting to be as impressed with it as i was um it kind of reminded me of uh the witch the witch which was a film that had like kind of a, a similar slow build of horror and was all built on like the atmosphere and the use of dialogue and you know that film felt so original and like a real sort of interesting voice even while working within a kind of a like cult horror genre um which i always i appreciate that some people to like work within a genre and like use it to their advantage but also make it feel like their own um yeah it's it looks really interesting like there's so many long takes in this which is kind of bananas considering how low the budget is like they're 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 crazy some of these like they're they're like <laughs> they're <laughs> i think he got a, a very seasoned dp um to work with him he was kind of like a workhorse dp like a lot of first time directors he he sought out um uh like experienced cinematographer and the fact the, the guy seems to have made a lot of features um I find it so interesting the different people that he took influences from. So he also mentions um, the secret in their eyes. So um, what's the scene where he's in the crowd at the... Is it a match? What's he yeah, at? Yeah, it's he's... the, the Racing Football yes. Club uh, yes. football match. Yes. And he's running through the crowd and it's like all one shot. Yeah, it comes he... from like a helicopter shot yeah. and then up to the person. I must yeah. rewatch that film. I fucking love that movie. Um... He he cites that as an influence for the long shot that goes along the ground and runs the whole way through the town as kind of a like you know uh, geography kind of building um, tension building thing as well, um, which I find really interesting. Um, like we talk a lot about uh, like geography and creating um, a sense of place within a film and how important that is. Um, I think like it's important in like maybe not especially period pieces, but you know it it's not enough for a film to just look like the 1950s like you can go out and you can put them in costumes and you can make them say eclectic things and like you know have a like old school radio station and all that stuff but it has to feel like a real place in the 50s if you know what i mean and i i really i i like just having the characters walking around the different parts of the town and ugh i i I loved like spending time in this town, in this world with these characters, even if it was really brief. Uh, not that it's a particularly short movie, but like, you know, it's a, it's a solid 90 minutes. <clears throat> I really wish um, I saw this in the cinema. Um, I, I'm assuming it didn't have a theatrical release because it came out in the middle of this year and maybe even if it had been a normal year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I do. I wish I'd seen it um, not just for the visuals, but also for the, the sound design. Like I said last week, that um, I wanted you to have make sure that you had good um, speakers, not just because um, like the sound design is great, but there's also like so much emphasis on listening and sound and everything in this. But um, I watched it with headphones in, and God, I like royally freaked myself out because um, <laughs> it's so it's so intense. Oh my God, I kept. I, I, I really didn't think this film was going to creep me out as much as it did and I it, I found it really like visceral and like I kept like you know I was like looking behind the sofa by the end of the day and like I I don't find aliens scary at all um, I find people who are scared of aliens quite um, entertaining but um, <laughs> there's, there's just something about the creeping it's it's on the back of your neck like constantly and it's it's the combination of the like the buildup of the atmosphere and everything. You were entering a realm between clandestine and forgotten, a slipstream caught between channels, the secret museum of mankind, the private library of shadows, all taking place on a stage forged from mystery and found only in a frequency caught between logic and myth. You were entering Paradox Theater. Tonight's episode, The Vast of Night. 
I also love just the the analog nature of the recording equipment and like the switchboard and everything and like the sound of her like plugging in the like <laughs> it's just like oh I felt so enjoyable. Um, I do think like the the budget shows at times um, like the ending is a bit squished. Uh, we can talk about that. Uh, like nothing quite stands up. I think to. Um, the phone conversation in the middle of the film that they, he has with the the um, uh, the caller like that it's it's so intense. Well, so I was uh, in the military, and there were always jobs and work we didn't know anything about. What do you mean? I mean, we would get assigned to places without knowing where we were to do things none of us understood. Uh, yeah, like I, I do think that the the final imagery of the film it really made me think of um, uh, monsters actually, uh, which is another. <laughs> I used to think of that film so fondly, and I still do, but I try not to think what happened to his career afterwards, um, <laughs> which is quite sad. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, of how like DIY that film was as well, and how it it didn't obsess over the CGI of it or like jump scares or whatever and it, it had this kind of like majestic use of like the actual monsters and that they were all you know so much of that film was sound design and like it was so well done um I kind of like this I can't remember how I got onto this film it there was a lot of hype around it whenever it first came out on Amazon I think and uh people were like oh it's so paranoid it's the perfect movie for our time and we talk about that about the the political nature of this and like the um the, like the 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 racial commentary and like all that stuff and um like there I don't think the guy who made this had any intent like obviously didn't know anything about the year that this was going to come out and and um but sometimes films come out at a time where they feel kind of appropriate um but yeah I I expected to like it because you know you kind of go oh yeah like you know kind of it's got all these cool influences and it's set in the fifties and you know like that yeah I'm probably gonna like this um but I didn't think it was gonna like blow me away the way it did and. Uh, I find it interesting, like, I've talked a lot about his, um, his influences and, um, but he's, he's able to, like, take all these influences, um, and take elements of them, but make his own kind of film as well, which I find really interesting because, I mean, you can make a, like, film that feels like a Spielberg film, but that's it, you know, where it doesn't really feel like you, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's an homage. Um, it's like winking at, it's like, it's like, (laughs) sorry, I had something stuck in my throat there. Um, so after all that preamble, (laughs) Ricardo, what did you think of the vast of night? Uh, first of all, like the, the film has been in the, in the radar because friend of the pod and the repeat offender, Felipe Dick and my brother had recommended it. Speaking of Shane Cruz. Yeah. So like, uh. (laughs) Watching it is like, yeah, that's something that my brother would like. Yes, no wonder <laughs> he liked this movie. And first of all, before we start, uh, I was okay. trying to rock my brain. Is is this the first alien movie that we've done? No, we did Close Encounters of the Third Kind. No, we haven't. Yeah, we did. Oh, Jesus. Yep. We actually did. And the ta- it was July 2nd, 2018. And the tagline I gave it was, intellectual leg crossing <laughs> okay like for uh, some I, reason there's an extended conversation about ricardo in the bath enjoy <laughs> oh my god like i have no idea i can't i can't even like we've gotten to the point that we've done so many episodes that even after you told me i have no recollection of recording that episode what happened in there um let's listen to this listen to this run of episodes right we did seven samurai moonrise close encounters of the third kind stranger by the lake i know where i'm going and away we go <laughs> oh jesus we ended with a plonker there <laughs> right so uh jesus i was thinking we did starship oh, my... troopers as well that's also aliens oh yeah jesus my brain <laughs> 2020 has taken another fucking victim my memory uh, we have yeah, switched uh, roles here. This is we have so many alien movies, and I was like, "How how come it took us so long?" Like I was watching it, and it's like, "How come it took us so long to do an alien movie when we've done <laughs> so many alien movies?" And one like less than a month ago, maybe. So uh, going back to this movie, 
The strangely enough, the the film that reminded me of at times uh, mm -hmm. was Paris, Texas. Um, oh, okay, interesting. Uh, because Paris, Texas, that. there's a lot of people walking uh, yeah. on sidewalks and such, but. There's a, a an extended bit in Paris, Texas. Whenever they go to Paris, Texas to try to find uh, uh, Natasha Kinski, and they he finds where she she's working, but he didn't have the courage to go and see her yet, and they are driving back to like the town where he, they came from, let's say, and mm -hmm. they stop in this little town maybe in New Mexico and it has that kind of uh, wired uh, lamp uh, lamps in the middle of the road that is like a really wide road mm -hmm. and the lamps are hanging in the middle of the road one after the other in this really small town and I it's like so analog that I was thinking to myself is this the same town like I doubt it but it's um, maybe well, like it's that it's the same as like Spanish architecture and stuff like that in New Mexico and such. That mm. all those towns were built the same way, like it's the same design, the same as if you go to a housing estate in Ireland. No matter where you are in Ireland, you can't go like, oh, this is a Cork housing estate. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it's. I think it's significantly less charming though to go to a housing estate in Ireland than it is to walk around. Uh... 50s New Mexico yeah like uh, and you were saying like oh yeah isn't it? he's based in Oklahoma where they huh. don't have a film industry and it's like yes so let's go to New Mexico to make a movie <laughs> he's such an interesting dude though because he he basically did everything himself until he couldn't anymore until he was like oh okay I need someone to come in and produce this and then because it was he'd raised all the money from doing commercials and stuff so he'd uh, <laughs> it's all it's like incredibly incredibly DIY in a way that films uh, kind of aren't anymore I suppose you know like he has the look of uh, did you look of, yeah I saw a picture of him there he looks exactly like the best friend of the cop in a 70s movie. The guy that is like, you're getting into yeah, deep, man. man. Yeah, like, man, stop it. Like, you sound like Felipe. You know, like, to Felipe. Is, is the type Felipe of guy that'd be, uh, whatchamacallit, you know, he'd be the, the friendly manager to a Barbara Streisand type character in a movie. You know what I mean? I love how like, specific that is. We talk an awful lot about locations, but a sense of place and people and such. And I think that this movie really uh, delivers on that side. It reminded me a lot of um, American Graffiti. Yeah. Uh, like, especially like the opening scenes are clearly that kind of uh, vibe that is like, let's make it super 50s, but... It almost feels like American Graffiti in the sense that it's like 50s, but not through the eyes of somebody that didn't live through the 50s. Mm. You know, the same way that uh, Dazed and Confused is very much a uh, original, but also not like cliche look at the 70s because it's like based on Linklater's mm. view of finishing college in the late 70s. And uh, American Graffiti is based on the same idea of like car culture and stuff like that with uh, uh, George Lucas missing that style of livelihood, how teenagers used to be kind of thing. <laughs> um, and this movie really captures the idea of like small town America and community and such that like, but not the reality of it. It's more like the vision that america has of itself for the 50s mm. but at the same time making it feel real which is like a really uh fine balance <laughs> yeah it's a fine line to thread uh, and i think that he does it with a plum let's say on that side uh, i'll tell you like an anecdote okay uh from my youth um, oh dear. when i was a kid uh in the uh, in brazil <laughs> whatever there like there's a lot of humidity in brazil so uh, anything that is like a, a rocky surface or uh, bricks or anything like that 
there it grow like a lot of moss grows on it so even your walls like in your garden it gets like really dark and moss grows and like vegetation and it gets manky um even the color gets really dark uh, and uh, and then if you had like in brazil it's kind of typical that you have like bits of grass but also like bits that are like just either stone or if you're uh, not really wealthy is actual bricks that you put over the uh, the earth kind of thing and in the winter which is like rainy season like it's really moist the air uh, it can get really slippery so you get a guy to come and actually bleach the whole thing to like kill the vegetation and clean the rocks and the walls and stuff like that but they had to like scrub each piece of stone individually to like take it out and when you used to get the guy to do it like they get, like it's a very particular job and you can get like somebody that is really skillful at it you know because they do it the whole day and when they used to get the guy over i just sit there it'll be like six years old i just sit there and watch him do it for hours why is this like a scene from like an Almodovar film where like <laughs> it's young Ricardo just like watching this guy scrubbing the tiles <laughs> or like Roma or something? I don't know. This is how I envision you. And time. my mom would be like, uh, uh, for, like very curious about it. But at the time, I, I couldn't uh, really put into words why I... Uh, I liked observing somebody clean it. Yes, it's that I'm obsessed with process in a way. Like even something as small as like cleaning, uh, like uh, deshelling boiled eggs. Like, you know, that you have like, that you get good at it and stuff. Very therapeutic. Uh, And I'm not particularly good with small things because of like muscular issues that I have. So... Like, even though I become sometimes frustrated when I'm peeling eggs, like, I'm interested in doing it. Like, uh, you know, it is therapeutic in a way. But in general, I like intricate work and processes and, like, people doing stuff, you know. Like, I used to watch my mom cook before I understood what was happening. I just liked that it was, like, A followed by B followed by C. And I love that this movie, like, is so tactile in that sense that it's like there's so much of like scenes that is just people operating machinery, and uh, also yeah. and like yeah, long and, takes <laughs> and in a way that it is incredibly um, second nature. You can really tell that the the actors spend a lot of time um, training to. Uh, because mm. you never feel like they're looking for the button to press. The, it's like, they, yeah, the they, they didn't think about it kind of thing. <clears throat> and they're focused on like talking rather than operating the machine, let's say. And I think that that's quite impressive. Like it might be complete like acting that they're not actually operating the machine as it should be operated. Mm. But it actually feels like they, they are, you know. And I love how analog technology used to be that is like boom 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 all right we are going on the air here shortly in three two one and we're back everybody sorry to cut that last song short but we do have a caller here who may know something now billy would you mind telling us all what you know Yes, I have a story that might be helpful i don't uh know it may not be but i'll go ahead and give it to you all right well we're listening uh, this uh, made me think that it's like the good version of Barbarian Sound Studio. I really didn't like Barbarian <laughs> Sound Studio, which admittedly, I'm the only cinephile that I've met that yeah. didn't like that movie. But surprising. I really disliked it. I don't know why. I just didn't like that movie. This is uh, Toby Jones uh, as a yeah. Foley artist. And I love Toby Jones and I love horror. I love fucking Italian Jalla movies that it's like inspired by. It's one of those movies that all the ingredients from the movie uh, should like make a delicious dish for me. And individually, I like those ingredients, but there's something that is off in the proportions or something that I, I can't put my finger on. But like I put it in my mouth and I'm just like, nah, nah, mate. Go back to the drawing board. 
but like this it is like the opposite that it's almost like a movie designed to do like the, the other like weird influence that reminded me of and that i'm i'm hugely inspired by as well uh in some writing and stuff is Cormac mccarthy but not in the sense of like uh the road or anything else is the mccarthy was Cormac a closet Mac- mfa bro <laughs> Cormac McCarthy's best books uh, are the Border Trilogy. Mm. And the second book, there's like six scenes that is just people for like dozen of pages just telling a story to the main character. Just like explaining what happened to their lives. And sometimes it's like dreams and stuff. And it's the kind of thing that if you bumped into in real life, you go... Get me the fuck out of this place. You know, <laughs> if somebody goes like, I'm going to tell you my dream for the next 20 minutes. You're like, ah, uh, you did the that cyanide? to me before we started recording. recording. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't go for one. I didn't go out for I'm 20 kidding. minutes. I'm getting it. And great secondly, but secondly, it's like it is kind of specific, but it, it, the same way it's like. I don't know. I I like that idea of like somebody like even in the movie that we did together. There's a whole fucking part on it that is precisely this just kind a, of thing. Just a con- just a, like an anecdote. Yeah. It's something that I I know that people did before Cormac McCarthy, but I think it's really noticeable in that book in particular, the second book, The Crossing, that there are like three dreams or something that goes over a lot of chapters, and I think that like. It could be that he borrowed from somebody else, but even the structures of the story and how he uses that to create the like a thematic kind of whole, even though each story is completely independent of each other, mm. is quite quite similar to this. How he uses the fla- fact that the guy that rings uh, Billy, I think, the guy that rings the radio station, is yeah. a, a a black Ooh. man in 1950s America, and how the next person that tells them a story is a single woman that had a child mm, uh, at a wedlock. That no one would believe. Yeah, but also it's kind of like the why they, wouldn't they believe it? So it's like that uh, subtext is cake, caked in the context of the story mm. uh, and the story that they're telling. And also the Everett's reaction. That you can tell that he's... Uh, let, let me put it this way, that he's less racist than misogynistic. And I think that it's like uh, the the bit like. Um, and I, uh, I was particularly impressed also about the character writing more than anything. Mm. The having a like million, a million words a minute kind of guy, like smart ass kind of character is really easy to fucking get wrong. And like everything. <laughs> doesn't feel like he feels like the cool nerd at your school you know the guy that is like yeah he's yeah. a fucking nerd but he gets away with it you know like he doesn't really get bullied <laughs> and he's such a because they all kind of rely on him which is kind of funny he's like the guy who can fix the broadband you know? yeah like, <laughs> we don't yeah, like precisely. him but he's helpful <laughs> yeah like he's the guy that is like especially in america kind of thing you're like if you're not in the football team but you're the guy that narrates the football matches on the in the school radio. You're still kind of like by default associated with the football team rather than you being like, oh, yeah, I started the Akira Kurosawa uh, <laughs> film club or something. You know, you're, like that guy is the guy that gets the wedgies like the <laughs> the other guy is the, the guy one who that, like founded the AV club in school. <laughs> yeah, like uh so I think that this, like they, again, a lot of this movie is about threading uh, the needle on a very narrow path that he could have been incredibly annoying or too much of a, of a like cool fucking unrealistic dude, you know, mm. he's right in the middle, the like believable, interesting, flawed as well. He's a dickhead. Flawed, yeah, <laughs> but like, like a likable dickhead. <laughs> All right, where's your tail, Nightingale? What's all the fuss? Why you got Rennie's horn? Well, what's this? I don't know you're in band. Why aren't you up there playing? Oh, I can't do pet band. I work the game so Ruth can watch with his Greg made varsity. Why do you have Rennie's horn? Oh, he needs to be punished for being a Rennie. And I love as well whenever oh. he's like, uh, he goes to interview the the principal and then he goes, oh, machine is broken. And it's like, he's dead air. Don't waste tape on people like that or whatever. <laughs> 
And I really like uh, her as well. <coughs> she has a really good face. Yeah, I, I think. really liked her. And uh, yeah, I really like that. I do think that, like, I really have three complaints. One is very minor. I don't even think it's a complaint because it adds to the charm of the movie. But uh, the woman that plays the car, the um, the person that uh, her, whose sons got kidnapped mm-hmm. by the aliens, uh, she's very like uh, uh, community theater kind of, <laughs> actress, you know, like. Uh, and I think it's one of those things that the performance is not particularly bad, but the. But it's just because, uh, for one, is that it's a, like a very long monologue, so it, it is more noticeable than if it was just like in the beginning when it's the back and forth between the actors. Mm. It's fine, kind of thing. It's just that she doesn't have the Sorry. perhaps the voice or the personality that the guy that plays Billy does. Yeah, that like he just draws you in, like he. You know that kind of storytelling kind of person that it's like you you allow them to tell the story for 20 minutes and you're completely engrossed by them. And then you can have somebody else that tells the same story, exactly the same words with the same cadence, but they don't really like grab you the same way. And I think that is the case with her. And because the scene is quite long, it just becomes like more noticeable. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's the script per se. Because it's like an interesting story. I just don't think that she draws you in the same way. But it's like that kind of like je ne sais quoi. That it's not precisely like technically a bad performance. It's just that it's not. I don't know if it's charisma or. You know like what I mean. Yeah it's. Like you could listen to him read the phone book like genuinely. And it would be engaging. Whereas she had to be given this incredible material to like get to a certain level if you know what i mean and like i don't think she's like a bad actress i think it's just yeah she just she just doesn't have that 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 kind of spark of like yeah that was incredibly watchable and and it was the only bit that felt quote-unquote fake in a way when it mm. came to performances because even the small performances uh, like uh, when they're interviewing people in the in the car lot <laughs> and stuff feel like really lived in like the fight between the couple they're like <laughs> arguing in the car and Everett is like walk away this is just like a husband and wife kind of situation or the the bit when they interview somebody and it's like, is this going on the radio? And he goes like, yeah, people like a family eating in the car is going to be on the radio kind of thing. You know, <laughs> it's very lived in. Well, yeah. that moment was the only bit that it didn't like draw, you know, it felt like the the army guy in signs. The guy that uh, the when uh, Joaquin Phoenix goes to the army office because he's thinking of enlisting. And mm-hmm. there's a guy going like, you know. That's their plan. <laughs> they try to invade first. They send reconnaissance people. <laughs> and it's like, it's really, really hammy. And it's kind of like trying to do exactly what this movie is trying to do. The kind of like 50s Twilight Zone kind of vibe. But it's like a little bit too much. But it's not like you get away with it if the actor was a little bit more charismatic. Mm. But it's it, like you get what they're trying to do, but they don't quite do it you know uh and the other two minor complaints that i had was a i didn't think that it needed or should have had the tv kind of yeah uh, thing in the mid and it keeps jumping in the middle as well Uh, it doesn't have anything it's like yeah yeah and uh the ending has a not quite the serious case but a bit of the cases of the midnight specials. The, um, <laughs> oh my god, I forgot midnight special existed. Why are we not talking about that film yet? <laughs> but you you get what I mean. That it's like it's that a that they do an ending that the the budget doesn't fit, and you really like it's the only time that you 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 feel the budget. You know mm-hmm. that it's like oh well because if it was a a short movie. Kind of like not 
perhaps student, but even a professional short movie. No, have you ever heard of the uh, YouTube channel Film Riot? Um, that sounds familiar. It's like a group of guys that are like filmmakers and in the beginning they were like really low budget and they were like just trying to show how to do things on a low budget. And as they started making more money, their projects get bigger and bigger. But their idea is to like keep showing you how things get done as you go along. Mm -hmm. Because if you're at the beginning of your career, you can always go back to the the start of them. But they they do a lot of like special effects, heavy things to call attention to on short movies. And they're good short film special effects. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. the kind of thing that if you saw in a Kickstarter, you go, oh, that's impressive. <laughs> but I hope that in the feature film, it'd be better kind of thing. You know, like it's it's almost it's like, like it's the trailer that gets them the funding. Yeah, it's almost like proof of concept special effects. They're not like terrible, mm. but they're bad enough that you go. Why is this uh, here? Yeah, uh, especially like a, a, a moment that you go like. I don't know what I'm looking at. You know, that is the bit that is like, mm, just like, you know, if you're going to be 50s or whatever, just put a fucking light on top of them and they look up at the skies and they didn't see anything or whatever, you know? Like you didn't need you didn't need to, to show it as well. That's another thing, you know, like you need to see it. You could, they, there's so many ways they could have done it where it's like ambiguous or unambiguous even, that like in the end that they disappear. And But, you know, I felt like the image of the recorder sitting covered in dust was nearly more striking yeah. and less ridiculous than the actual thing in this game but at the same time i felt that it was like hugely anticlimactic that they were the only people that got kidnapped mm. because the whole point of the thing is that uh, like what time. everybody's going like saying oh they like it when everybody's in one crowd and when they start dispersing because it's easier to pick them off and stuff mm. and then it's like oh yeah they go to the middle of nowhere in a field or even like when they play the recorder to the couple and they kind of like zone out. It's like, why? I don't get it. Like, because they clearly not trying to kidnap them. They're not like playing in. They're not in allegiance with the aliens. So what's going on? But it's like that kind of bit. That perhaps the director knew what he was going for. But mm-hmm. it sometimes it feels like, oh, weird thing. Don't know why. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh i need it's to put Tuesday, a weird don't bit worry here. About it. yeah i think i was like i've seen it like my favorite um my favorite long shot in this and i think it's her at the switchboard i really love that when it's her like at the at the very start when she's just come into work and she like sits down and it's just like a side shot of her and it runs for i don't know how long of just like her plugging in and like listening and then turning on the thing and then talking to everett and it's like it's so like and i think at that point you're not even cutting back to everett you're just hearing his voice um and it runs for so long and it's so like like lived in like you feel like if you reached into the movie and you asked her a question about what she was doing she would go yeah this you know what i mean like it's the whole thing outside of the moment that you're seeing you believe that it's like that yeah she does this is this is she does this every single day this is her job you know like and everyone in the town wants her to marry everett and i gotta say i shipped it pretty hard even though what the fuck age is everett supposed to be (laughs) i find that confusing at the start I reckon that he's like just out of high school kind of yeah, thing, that's... like eighteen maybe, um, mm. because he has the that vibe of like, oh, I'm trying to get out of town kind of thing still, yeah. and that, but also it's like it's the bit of him bullying the guy with the trombone yeah, as well. That, that, he that, knows that, like, them. Yeah, but also that he knows him as being a a college to like a high school student back then. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the um so yeah, like uh uh that scene like I, it's one of these weird movies that I seen the, the like something of making up before watching the movie because mm-hmm. I know how they shot the the really long shot whenever they it goes from the her uh her job through the high school and it's then like four to, takes, I think they did, and they stitched them together. I think are four shots. 
Yeah, but like the bit of like when the camera is flying is that it's like a guy in a go car. <laughs> like they put like a DJI Ronin or something in the fucking like uh, in a go kart, and the guy had to drive the go kart and stuff. And uh, what's your favorite thing about the movie? Oh God, probably the the direction, I guess. Um, because it's so like as you're saying, like he threads so many needles and. Like we say this, we say this phrase, we talk about this a lot, but we do talk about this a lot about how like filmmaking is so many things working together at one time. And when you add in like genre to that as well, when you add in like all the influences that this guy has like stitched together in his mind, it's like, it's, it's like the perfect first novel, you know, (laughs) he's like, he's brought everything of his life into this film and it's all worked and like, you know, all of this, the scales are just balanced in every arena. And I find that really, really impressive. It's just, it's so enjoyable to like watch something that it's in such good hands. You know, it, you, you just, it's just, it's, you, you're never, I was never worried that this film was going to go off a cliff. And that's like so rare, <laughs> even in like tv shows or you know it's it's sometimes you're on the edge of your seat just going don't fuck it up <laughs> you know it's like rupaul <laughs> like don't fuck it up um and he didn't and i i just i had so much fun with this um i'm really glad that uh that you enjoy it what was your favorite thing my favorite thing is that this movie is not hillbilly elegy directed oh, by her I haven't seen it, but oh I'm just glad that every movie that I watch is not Hillbilly Elegy by Ron Howard. Oh, uh, but yeah, Some people should stop making films and some people should be given the time to make more. <laughs> and uh, my, well, like my, my actual favorite thing is that this movie is not Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, <laughs> No, it's uh, the acting. I think that it is like a, it's a mixture between the the writing and the and the script. That mm-hmm. they really work together to create like really good characters and really they draw you in. With not that much, you know, it's the kind of writing that gives you enough character without oh this is my backstory, you know, mm-hmm. like even when she says I don't have a father. But it doesn't yeah. go into, like, why doesn't... Uh, you know, like, lesser filmmakers would end up, like, having the scene. Oh, yeah, but my father fucking was... He disappeared as well. And my mom thought that he was just a drunk. And nobody. But it turns out that he was kidnapped by aliens. <laughs> aliens, man. Aliens. But, like, the even those scenes that were, like, expo- exposition-heavy... Didn't mm-hmm. feel exposition heavy except for that one case that we went into. Of the woman, uh, the yeah. yeah. But like, and even at that, like, I think it's still a good performance. It's just that, like, it's a very difficult task to do. It. It's more impressive that so many other actors in this movie were able to, like, pull it off. Like, the guy playing Everett and the guy, the, the girl. Uh, it's so weird that I, I remember his character's name and I remember her like the actress's name I don't remember her character name <laughs> Faye Faye uh, yes yeah what was the the nickname that he gives her like Faye the something out of Cayuga whatever they are Cayuga I can't remember I loved them together so much I was like oh they're such little cuties <laughs> I, like, Is it... I would have fancied him so much if I was in that school it's very kind of like... Oh, um, God. I would have bought a recorder just to impress him. <laughs> and even the way that he walks her to the station and then when you actually see where the station is from where he walked her to, you realize that he went completely the opposite direction of the station to walk her to the to her job kind of thing that I thought that it was quite cute. But in a uh, cute way, not in a like silly way like in La La Land. Yeah. So yeah, like uh, <laughs> fuck that. That was my my favorite thing. Like, uh, I think that then closely followed by the sense of place and stuff. It's the kind of movie that I, I wish that 
like he would make another movie in the same universe kind of thing you know that like yeah. not necessarily just like a horror movie like just do a high school drama kind of thing or like uh uh a western here or like a modern western or i don't know a drama set in this town with these characters it was like it was like a, such a lovely place to be even with yeah. the people in the sky <laughs> Then Carl Sagan shows up and as uh, Alex uh, points out that he doesn't put the H in humans. So it's like, the humans, <laughs> they've been around for so long. First invent the universe. Uh, what was your least favorite thing? Um, mm, What was your least favorite thing? <laughs> I don't know. Like it's hard to like uh, say which one. I'm, um, but not in like a bad sense because it's kind of like uh, every flaw that yeah. I brought up is part of the charm of the movie as well. So it's kind of like you know the shitty effects is because it's low budget. You don't have the rest of the movie if it wasn't for the shitty effects. I think mm. maybe it's like, and I don't know quite. If it is that the special effects are not quite good enough or that the scene didn't require special effects whatsoever. It's like it's hard to pinpoint there. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And like her is like, yeah, it's the weaker performance. But at the same time, it's not particularly bad performance. It's just that is the the, caliber of this movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's the, the victim of its own success that you have one performance that is just good and then it becomes noticeable, let's say. It's Mm -hmm. the what I call the saving private Ryan moment. You have like uh Tom (laughs) Hanks talks about like his life in Indiana, Indiana Saving Private Ryan, and it's like really like draws you in. And then Matt Damon tells a story about his like home life. And I really like <laughs> Matt Damon. But Matt Damon at that time wasn't a good enough actor to pull that off. Especially after coming off like Tom Hanks saying the story, you know? <laughs> so it's like Tom Hanks, it feels like somebody that doesn't want to tell the story and just says it, you know? Like, he's like, this is what I do, you know? Like, I'm a teacher and stuff. That's it. That's uh And then it's like Matt Damon telling the story and it feels like, Oh, now is my monologue time, time to act. You know, you know what I mean? And it's not like particularly bad. It's just because it just came after. This In context, bit, you know? it's like. Uh... <laughs> because you even have like one bit that is even worse before, like by Ed Burns. But like, uh, because it's like independent from the rest, that bit doesn't seem as clunky. Because, like, it comes before Tom Hanks tells his bit. You know what I mean? And I think that this is, like, that bit that is, like, yeah, you should have quit while you were ahead. But it's also not your fault. And it's not particularly bad. It's just, I don't know. There's, like, not enough salt and pepper in the scene. It's (laughs) under-condimented. How about yourself? What's your least favorite thing? It's probably her as well, and like that, but not a bad way either, because it is a good scene. Um, and I think his skepticism in the scene is great, and like, uh, yeah, it's it is definitely a victim of its own success. And I think that like this film is such a good example of how restrictions often create great things because. Like, what would this movie have been with, like, a Netflix budget or whatever? You know, it's it's like, or an Amazon Prime budget as made by Amazon Prime. <clears throat> like, it's it's the it's the Christopher Nolan thing of, like, give, give the man less money and he will make better movies. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, necessity is indeed the mother of invention. Um, and just, yeah, it's, I don't remember, like, really... It's like I don't think about that scene when I think about the film. I think about the phone call above that, and so much of that is is just his delivery of it, you know. And like because their two stories are not like they're equally interesting and equally important in like delivering information and like as part of the overall narrative. Um, but yeah, just just that little bit. But at the same time, like 
Yeah, I, I, it's it's so like there's an Ina Blyton book called um, The Mystery That Never Was, I think. Uh, so do you remember reading the Ina Blyton books? Like, you know, like the Famous Five and the Secret Seven. It's always these like gangs of like, you know, sort of British kids solving mysteries. And there's always like smugglers. I don't know if like there were a lot of smugglers in the 50s in the UK or what, but it's always like these kids like sneaking around at night and... That was like, I can't remember, that, that book had, had such like amazing imagery of like these kids and like moonlit night and like the kind of like the threat and they're kind of running around, you know, it's like Scooby-Doo, but like very like British. Um, and also, I think in a might have been a bit racist. I need to check up on that. Um, but <laughs> she was either racist or a Nazi or something. What's the Ina Blyton thing? Maybe not. Apologies to Ina Blyton if I am misremembering that. But um uh, it, this made me think of that a lot. And when you were saying the um, uh, that you want to see more movies within this universe, I really, really would. It's like, I want this expanded into like a show, but also not because it's so perfect by itself. Um, and I, I want to have its cardigan as well. Oh, yeah, he's such a cutie. Um, I feel like they're the two actors in this will probably, this will set up their careers pretty nicely, which makes me pretty happy because I think like, being able to like appreciate this, this this kind of script and like do like put so much into it and like it ending up delivering for them is like yeah they deserve all the success that they will get from like <laughs> signing up for this crazy movie in like the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. Um, but yeah, I'm really glad you liked it. Where can they find us, Orla? They can find us on Facebook, The Recommendation Game, on Twitter, at The Rec Game. They can email us at therecommendationgame at gmail.com. Oh, I also need to give a massive shout out to um, the lovely fellow who did indeed email us at therecommendationgame at gmail.com. Shout out to Nick, who uh, brought to our attention a film from 1988 called The Beast of War. Uh, and uh, it was directed by the guy who did... Um, uh, Waterworld <laughs> and it's uh, it's this strange sort of forgotten movie that uh, is, uh, apparently is incredible so thank you Nick, we intend to watch it so <laughs> next week's film is Ricardo's pick. Ricardo, what are you picking? I'm picking uh, Stories We Tell a Canadian movie for a Canadian friend Yay! Excellent well until two weeks time I was Orda McNeilis and I was Ricardo Deacon thanks for listening see you in two weeks time stay safe out there people from the people in the sky